Okay, today we're in 1 Corinthians 12, and we're going to take a big bite, verse 7 through 11. Alright, I know it shocked some of you, but we are going to try to cover all of those verses, I think. Uh, we're going to try to cover them all in one message. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7, I'm sure your Bible opens up there pretty close, and that's where we start. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the effecting of miracles, and to another prophecy, and to another the distinguishing of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. But one in the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. Heavenly Father, help us again. You have been so gracious to uh, teach us week by week as we open up your word and, and you challenge us with it. You always do. Because your word doesn't return void to you. It always accomplishes what you send it out to do. And we know you sent it out again today toward us. May our hearts be receptive. May we be willing to hear, willing to uh, do what you call us to do. May these words today be very applicable to our lives and honoring to you as we seek to serve you in the manner in which you describe today. Help us today, because we're dependent on you all the way through. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, as you already know, by the title of this message, we're 13 messages in already on the efficient functioning of the church. Now, we could just call it the functioning of the church, but that takes something out of that whole title. Efficiency is important. And when we put it into the picture, uh, we're asking a simple question with that concept. How does the church work to the best of its capabilities? How does it work the best? I mean, it could function, but is it efficient? Is it what God designed it to be, and is it operating the best? There's two questions that are on my mind every time I walk into this passage. One of them is, what things makes the church operate better? And the second is, what things make it less productive? In the evaluation of both of those, we come to understand the things that we need to work on to improve and things we need to avoid. It's real simple, but that's what it comes down to. Here's, a, here's some things to start with today. When we start talking about what things makes it operate the best, understand this. The church is well equipped to be what it ought to be. It's well equipped to be what it ought to be. Underscore, first of all, this whole concept of church is God's idea, right? Nobody thought that up and said, hey, let's do this church thing. And God designed it. It was his plan. The church was purchased by the blood of Christ. We know that too. We were bought with his blood. 
It is being built by Jesus Christ. He said, I will build my church, right? The church also, he said, will not fail. Even if Satan should pound on the doors and the gates of hell prevail against it. Guess what? Christ will build his church. It will work. I think that's great. The church will ultimately stand before the Lord perfect, just as he planned it. Because he doesn't fail. And if it's his plan in the first place, purchased by his blood, built by Jesus Christ, ultimately going through this world and standing before the Lord perfect as it ought to be, that sounds like a pretty good thing to be a part of. (laughs) I start with that because... Do you think he's going to do all that and then forget to give the church what it needs to operate day by day? It's all in the package, isn't it? He doesn't just say, okay, church, now you figure it out. He doesn't do that. What I like is when we map it out from the beginning place to its final state, the church is being guided and strengthened and supported by the Holy Spirit all the way through. That's the beauty of the passage we're studying here. We have been instructed by the Word of God, and we're given gifts. Gifts to help us in how to do it. He has equipped us for these things. So the church does not lack, does it? It's not missing something, is it? In that whole picture, God has it pretty well put together and he knows what he's doing. So I'm just saying as I start here today that the church does not lack what it needs to mature. It has the Holy Spirit, it has the Word of God, it has the gifts of ministries. As we're told, every single gift in Ephesians 4, every gift anywhere in the, in the scriptures, every gift is given and designed for a purpose. And that is so each one of us are engaged in helping each other become more like Jesus. Right? Good. That's exactly what we're doing. That's why it's all put together this way. So what could possibly go wrong? You would think with all that perfection of planning and everything else, why did God put people in it? There's our problem. Why why do so many churches struggle? You've heard of churches struggling before, haven't you? You ever see that? Boy, it's a tough thing. A good portion of my ministry was finding churches that struggle and going in there and helping them. I used to joke this way, but it was as if they had spent a whole lot of time making a mess and they walk in, I walk in and they hand me the broom and say, now figure out how to clean that up. And some of them were just like that. They were an absolute mess. And, and the Lord allowed me to work in some of those things. There's a lot of blessings in that, folks. I don't always say it like it's, it's a positive thing. But the Lord is so gracious to His church that even when it's an absolute mess, He's at work. And He can do things that we sometimes don't ever expect. And it's beautiful to see how He fixes things that are broken. But the church is... Sometimes they're full of conflicts. Sometimes they're full of these struggles, or what we call issues. Right? That's a good word. It's got an issue. And uh, we've got things like that. 
When I was a, a pastor in Birmingham, Alabama, one of my things I thought I'd do was canvas the neighborhood and, and introduce myself. Uh, we were right in a big residential area, right on the corner of two major roads. And so a lot of traffic went by. Um, so much traffic that people would park their used cars out in our parking lot. And I'd call them up and they'd say, oh, I got a sale. I said, no, you're going to move your car. <laughs> you didn't ask permission to park it in our parking lot. But it was ideal for a used car lot. I'll tell you that. Um, but we sat there right on this corner and all these people here and I'd go into the homes across the street and all around the neighborhood and things like that. And I came to a door and somebody said, so you're, you're the pastor of the church that fights all the time. I go, oh, that was new to me. I go to another door and they say, oh, you're the, you're the pastor of the church that fires its pastor every two years. That does a lot for a new pastor. I said, ugh. I, I went into, I was at Bible College at the time, Southeastern Bible College, and I come into a philosophy course. The teacher is sitting up front. He sits up front at a table, and he's sitting up there, and he sees me come in, and he starts laughing. And I said, what are you laughing about? He says, oh, I heard you're the new pastor of such and such a church. And uh, he's laughing at me, and I'm looking at him like, What's the problem? He says, you know what we call that church, don't you? I said, no. They said, he says, the pastor's graveyard. And I said, ooh, okay. Well, he, he said, I'll give you some advice. He said, there's two ladies in this church. They're sisters. They're elderly. They're very wealthy. They're influential people. Do whatever they say, and you'll succeed. You know what? He was a pastor there once, too. And so I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm not going to do what they tell me to do. I'm going to do the exact opposite. I was a young pastor. I had no idea what I was doing. But I said, whatever they say, I'm not going to do it. And so after five years, they came up to me and they said, you know what we like about you? You don't say yes to everything we say. I said, whoa, was that the test? Well, it was fun. We were there for five years, and they wanted me for more. It was just a great place to be. But that was a church with challenges. Let me tell you the best one I remember. We had just had a Bible study on the book of Philemon. You know, it's one chapter in your Bible. And it's all about refreshing your brother in Christ. And they had a fight about that book on their way out the door. There were people on both sides of the parking lot waving their Bibles at each other and yelling at the top of their lungs. And I said, wow, right here on the main street. Everybody calls us the church that fights, and we really put that on that day. And it was amazing to see that. You say, so what's wrong with that? You know, it's conflict, issues. What is it? What is wrong with this? How do you, how do you put your finger on this problem that persisted? Well, when we get to the book of Corinthians, it's not hard to put your finger on the problem. Go with me just for a minute back to chapter number one. Chapter number one. I want to show you just in a handful of verses here where the exact problem was. And I have to remind us of this as we go through this passage for today. This is not just filler stuff. This is important to understand what we need to see today. Number one. In verse number 2, chapter 1, 
to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling, with all those and in every place who call upon the name of the Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Are they believers? Yes. That's pretty clear. Verse number four. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which is given you in Christ Jesus, that in everything you were enriched in Him, in all speech and in all knowledge. Even the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you, so that you are not lacking in any gift, awaiting eagerly for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Have they been equipped to function properly as a church? Yes. They had everything they needed. Number 10, verse 10. Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to you that you all agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. For I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people, that there are quarrels among you. Are they functioning efficiently? No. It wasn't that they lacked the equipment. That wasn't what was hurting the church. It was what they were doing with it. They were evaluating one another. They were competing with one another. They were operating by the flesh. They were saying, look at me, look at my gift. Isn't it great? I'm better than you. How's that go over in church? Not good. That's what this church was all about. The problem, according to verse number 10, there's a place to put your finger. The problem was in their thinking. It says it had to do with their mind and their judgment. He says, I'm praying that you be made complete in that. Complete in your mind and in your judgment. Their problem was immaturity. That's a simple word for it. But they were not complete yet. They were not right yet. That little word to, to complete, to complete perfectly, uh, the Greek word, it, it means to complete thoroughly, to repair something, to, to fit it and frame it and mend it and restore it. You know what they needed? A spiritual chiropractor. They needed to be put on the table and readjusted. Just like that. In their spiritual thinking. In their spiritual judgment. That's where they were off. That's why this chapter, when we go over to it, it sounds so elementary to us. I read it to you just a few minutes ago from verse 7 to verse 11 in chapter 12. And you say, oh, this is easy stuff, Pastor. This is elementary stuff. Everybody knows this. Why did Paul have to bring it up to them? Because of their immaturity level, they forgot how does the church function. What is the importance of all the parts here? And so we're going to walk through it as if we are sitting with the Corinthians today and we're trying to process what do we need to do to get this back on track. Right? So there's going to be some applications that come along here. And for some of us, it might be one of those issues where if the shoe fits, wear it. 
Sometimes it challenges us. Sometimes there will be an encouragement to us. And it will say, hey, you're doing it right. Don't stop. Don't stop. Keep going. Keep going. All right? However the Lord's going to apply this to us, let's listen carefully to the instructions from verse 7 through 11 back in chapter 12. Uh, there are two verses that are going to frame our thinking. Verse 7 and verse 11. Verse 7, as you see, but to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Jump to verse 11. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as He wills. That is the essence of the teaching. Verse 8, 9, and 10 are explanatory. They're like, well, this is, let me explain what that means. And Paul goes through step by step, what does it mean that each one of us is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good? Alright? We're going to emphasize that in a minute as we work on verse 7 and verse 11 today. Alright? We don't want to separate those too much. So let's go to verse number 7. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit... For the common good. There are four facts right there in front of you. Sounds easy. Sounds like a sermon, right? Four. There's four right here. Alright. Fact number one. Each one in the body is given a gift by the Holy Spirit. You've heard that a thousand times, haven't you? But listen. Each one. Each one in the body. The believer's in Jesus Christ, are placed into the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit. Every single believer in Jesus Christ is given a gift by the Holy Spirit. You say, really? Me too? Yes, you do. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, He's gifted you for a purpose within the body. He's gifted you that way. Every believer has a role in the body. That's very important to understand it. If we understand this, folks, we will look at each other quite a bit differently. Many times it's personal. We say, well, what's my role? What's my gift? What, what am I doing in this body? But take a minute, step outside of that, and look at everybody else and say, they all have a role in this too. Do you know what that's going to do to change your thinking? When you start to realize that everybody around you has a place in the body to make us more like Jesus. Sometimes we struggle with people who ruffle our feathers. Is that the way we still say it? Ruffle? We have other words for it. But they give us a bad time, a bad day. We don't feel good about this or that. And what's our comments? We don't say it out loud often. But in our minds, it's, you know, if that person would just go away, it would be so much better. All right? I'm not going to ask who said who thought that before. I'm not going to do that. But I know we've been there. I've been a pastor for over 30 years. Do you think that thought ever crossed my mind? If only they leave, it would be better. But what if you start looking at everybody in the room as necessary parts of the church body. They're all here for a reason. They're all here a part of the body. If they're saved, are they gifted? Yes. And so if they're standing in this room with a gift, guess what? 
They're important to us, aren't they? And sometimes we say, I don't know what their gift is. And we start to evaluate it that way. But if you understand that all the gifts are designed to make us like Jesus, that means every believer in this room with that gift is here to help you be like Jesus. Are you going to look at them differently now? Like, oh, that's an important part. That's an important part. It's always frustrating when you go and fix something and you've got three extra pieces when you're done. And you say, I don't know what these were. And sometimes people look at the church that way. Like, oh, they're just extra pieces. They're not important. They're not important. If the Holy Spirit took the time to give them the gift, does that sound important to you? And that's what he's done. All right. We've already seen in our study that all the gifts are different, aren't they? You want to go back to four, five, and six again? They're all different. All the gifts are different. All the ministries that come from those gifts are different. And all the effects are different too. Don't expect anyone in the body to be just like you. That's not the way God works. The minute we start thinking everybody should do it my way, guess what? We have created the division. We have created the immaturity conflicts and the issues because we start to think that somehow if everyone looked like us, it would be great. When what are we supposed to be like? We're all supposed to be like Christ. See, we're not trying to conform to one another. We're trying to conform to be like Him. And so enjoy the differences, if you will, that bring us together, that help us to all be like the head, Jesus Christ. So there's a change in our thinking. Paul hammers this truth all the way through, but we're seeing it in other places. Everyone in the body has been given a gift by the Holy Spirit. Don't expect them to look like us. Have them look like Him. All right? He says in verse 8, To one is given the word of wisdom through the Holy Spirit. To another is given the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit. Verse 9, To another, I'm going to imply something because the verb just hangs here. To another is given faith by the same Spirit. To another is given gifts of healing by the one Spirit. And to another is given the effecting of miracles. To another is given prophecy. And to another is given the distribution or the distinguishing of spirits. And to another is given the various kinds of tongues. To another is given the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually, just as He wills. See, the differences of the gifts are listed there. It's pretty easy to see, isn't it? They're different. They're different. Don't expect them all to be the same. So, if we have an attitude... That if somebody is different than me, they don't belong. 
we've got a problem. That causes divisions. That causes quarrels. That keeps us mentally unstable and immature, and we're not able to work together. And where does efficiency go? It's not there. That's fact number one. Fact number two in that same verse here. For each is given, uh, uh, here it is, to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Fact number two, each one in the body are given a gift by the Holy Spirit. Again, it sounds elementary, but let me walk through this carefully. When the word given appears on the page, it kicks out pride in a hurry. Because given and earned are two different things, aren't they? It says given. Given means it's governed by the giver, not the receiver. How often we say, oh, Holy Spirit, you could have done better than that for me. I've got a better idea of what my gift ought to be. And we question his divine authority or his wisdom in why he gave us such a gift. He said, I wanted that gift. I didn't want this gift. Humility. Isn't that a great word? Most of us don't like it. We step back from that word humility. But humility is essential in receiving a gift. It's given to you. Given to you by the one and the same Spirit who's working all these things. He's distributing. Verse 11 says, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. Now, given. Look at the word given in verse number 8. It is the word for a gift. It has to do with a gift. It's a kindness toward you. He's presenting you with something precious. Whatever that gift is, it's not, it's not like, well, border, I've got a job for you, and you're not going to like it, kind of thing. But it's one of these, this is my gift to you. You know, the best gifts you've ever gotten were those that were well thought of, that matched you personally, that meant something great to you, had a memory maybe attached to it, or came from one of your favorite people, and you treasure that gift, don't you? Some of those you still have. You've kept for years and years and years because of the meaning of it. Not so much what it was, but the meaning of it. Think of who it is that just gave you this gift. That's God Himself, the Holy Spirit, saying, I need you to have this because it's just like you and it's just what we need and it's precious and you have a very important role in this church. So please take this gift and use it. It's not a tiny thing. It's not a, it's not a minor thing. That's giving. But go down to verse 11, and he uses the word distributing here. A different Greek word. That means he's dividing it out. He's separating it out. He's making each one different. So it's not like he's gone to the store and bought 1,500 of the same item and everybody gets the same. But each person gets something different. Different, different, and all of it based on his kindness and his love and his wisdom and his putting together the body, because that's what he's doing. 
He's putting it together to function the best. And he's bringing all these pieces together. And so he says, this one's going to be for you because that's different. And you're good at that. This one's going to be for you because that's what I want you to do. And he's going down separating, separating, separating. Watch the words. According to his will. According to his intention. According to his plan. When we struggle with the gift that we were given... Guess what it comes down to? Starts with a P. You want to finish the letters? R, I, you know where I'm going? D, E. That's where it comes from. We think better of ourselves for whatever reason. I don't know how we could ever think ourselves better than something God's done for us. But somehow we work that in there. Our flesh stands up and says, Oh, no, 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 I'm better. Matter of fact, I'm certainly better than anybody else. And because I'm better than anybody else, I deserve this. And thus we inject a spirit of competition instead of cooperation. And we also put in a spirit of division instead of a spirit of deferring to one another. You know what deferring means? That's the word for submit. That's to submit. One does not submit when they're full of pride. But we must submit to one another. As every body part has a purpose, we must submit to one another if we're going to function as we're designed to. Just the fact that there are are things given to all of us, it reminds us that we need humility. In so many verses, the Bible addresses this. I must be a common problem in the church. Why does it pop up in all the epistles? Humility, humility, humility. Even one of the best churches ever written to was the Philippian church. And guess what chapter 2 is full of? Therefore, if there's any encouragement of Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if there's any affection or compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind and of the same love and united in spirit and intent on one purpose and don't do anything out of selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind... Regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not look out on your own personal interest, but also on the interest of others. And in case you say, but how does that look? And he tells you, have the same attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus. And it goes all the way through to describe humility to us. And boy, what a difference that makes. Call that the the lubricant that makes the body work. Humility. It certainly gets rid of friction, I'll tell you that much. But that's important for us. That's item number two that we're working on here. Everyone does have a gift. But also those gifts have a role in this church. Everyone has a part. And if we start to recognize that, we'll be better off. Number three, fact number three, the manifestation of the Spirit, that phrase in there, that's an interesting word because just about every English translation has it. I went looking all that up. I, I said, what's that King James say? What's this say? What's this say? And I saw manifestation all over the place and I said, what's that? 
So, of course, I always look up the Greek word. That always helps me. It was the word to exhibit, an exhibition. An exhibition. It's got the idea of showing something, declaring something, rendering it apparent. Now, I'll read to you the translation of Kenneth Weiss. I bring this up every now and then. A Greek scholar wrote his own English translation based on the literal words of the Greek, and he said this, But to each one there is constantly being given the clearly seen operations of the Spirit. The clearly seen operations of the Spirit. If you're reading the Living Bible, it makes it real simple. The display. The display of how he works. Let let me make an easy observation. You ready? When we are operating according to God's plan for the church, we are not getting the attention. When we're doing it his way, we are not getting the attention. It's not a display of us. It's a display of the Holy Spirit at work. That's the, that's this word, the manifestation. It's the display of the Holy Spirit. It becomes obvious to those who see us that they see the Holy Spirit at work in us. Wouldn't that be the greatest thing if that was the first comment of somebody who visited here would be? They said, wow, it's evident the Holy Spirit is working in this church. That's the picture of this phrase. If they were examining our church, would they conclude that the operations of the Holy Spirit are clearly seen here? When we start to see the value of each other, all right? When we start to see the value of each one's gift in the body, when we see the value of bearing together in a church, when we see the value of humility with each of us, when we see the value of submitting to each other, submitting to the Holy Spirit, then guess what the other people will see to step in? It won't be us. It will be evidence that the Holy Spirit is in our midst. That's what the verse is saying. Wow. That's quite a test to live up to, isn't it? But that's the picture. That's what he's saying. I gave all these gifts to each one of you so that people will see I'm here. Oh, that's what it's all about. Yes. That's fact three. All right. I'll go to fact four because our time's getting a little short, but I'll bring it all together. For the common good. For the common good. Sum pharaoh is the Greek word. I love that little word. Sum pharaoh. Sum is together. Pharaoh means to carry something. To carry something. Sometimes it's called bearing together. Sometimes it's called bringing together. Sometimes it's called carrying together. All three of those are thoughts, but I'm going to use all three for a second. Say that he's put it all together so that we might bear together. You say, well, what's that exactly? It it suggests to me that there is a change of mind that we see our individual differences are something we acknowledge. And it, it sometimes is that we see the differences in maturity, too. 
And sometimes you say, well, I'm so frustrated with that person. They're just not mature. They're not acting mature. They're, they're acting up. And, and so what should our first thoughts be? And it's not get rid of them. How can I help my brother or sister to be more like Christ? That's bearing with one another. That's where you see your brother and sister and say, I'm going to help them grow up. I'm here to help them grow up. Or maybe they're looking at you that way right now. That's bearing with one another. Bringing together. It suggests to me that we need each other. In that simple phrase. Together is the key to the whole idea. We need each other. We are never complete by ourselves. Do you know that? God has so designed the church that it cannot operate by one individual. I've seen people who will stay at home, never go to church. I'm a church all by myself. You are not. But that's what they say. I could have my own worship service and I could sit out in the field and I could do this and I could do that. And yet that's not the way God designed the church. God designed it so every part complements another part. And if you're not here, we're missing a part. You see it? We're missing a part. So, we're not complete all by ourselves. Each of us is important to the body. Think of that when you get up on Sunday morning. I need to be there because I'm important to the whole body. If it's going to function right, I need to be there. Right? That's not a prideful thing. That's an accountability thing. That's a responsibility thing. That's understanding. Yes, he made you for a reason. And he put you in the body for a reason. Please do what he did for you by helping your brother and sister. Be here for him. Be here for him. That's bringing us together and carrying together. That's the basic idea of learning how to work together. we got a heavy load to carry. <laughs> Let's all learn how to do it together. We work together. And by, by the way, folks, this is intentional. I know it's easier to say, I do it better all by myself. Ever say that? I don't need anybody's help. Matter of fact, they're just going to mess it up. So I'm going to do it all by myself. That's not the way the Lord designed the body. He didn't do it that way. We carry it together. We carry it together. All right, those are the four facts of just that verse sprinkled in all the other parts that came with it. But what do we see? Number one, each one of us has a role in this body, right? Oh, I was about to pull out page one again. All right, every one of us has a gift given to us by the Holy Spirit, so there's no room for pride. That was two. Number three, those who see us ought to see the Holy Spirit in our midst, not promoting ourselves. Number four, the Holy Spirit designed this to bring us together to serve better. That's called efficient. That's what we're prompted to do with such verses like these. So, I think the best thing to do right there is to say it's time to pray. Praying is not the caboose to say the sermon's over. Praying is now let's apply it and get out there and do it, right? Okay, Heavenly Father, this is your word, 
and you're the one telling us how you designed it. And I know in our hearts, in our immature ways, and in our flesh, we fight. Lord, we're sorry we do that. Most of the times we do that just because of our own pride. But we fight. We, we argue with it. We, we, well, you know what we do, Lord. You are so very patient with us. You've been so kind. You did not look upon us and say, I give up. I'm glad for that. And as you look down upon your church, you know the end result. And it will be perfect, just like you planned it. We want to be part of that process. We want to take what you have given to us and use it in such a way to bring you glory. Honor your name to help our brothers and sisters in Christ to be everything you designed us to be. So, Lord, you know what kind of material you're working with. These clay people down here who, who just sometimes are hard as rock, but sometimes are a little too flexible to the things of this world. Shape us into the image of Christ. And may we learn to see the value of one another and enjoy what you have created. Help us with this today, we pray, Lord. It's something for us to really contemplate hard and then to put into action. And I pray that you might be glorified in that too. In Jesus' name, amen.